0: How are you guys doing today? It is really, really good to see you. I want to say a few things and we're going to dive into this message phenomenon. Hey, wherever you served last week at Easter Sunday, man, I thank you so much for, for uh, showing up, uh, doing all that you can, giving all that you can. Hey, listen, we broke a about a five-year attendance record last Sunday. We did. We, we, uh, God is blessing us. God is growing our church. We couldn't do this without people showing up, without people serving. It makes a pastor very, very proud that he serves a church like this. When people show up, put the shirts on, give, make it more about the next person. Whatever you did to help kids, whatever you did to give financially, whatever you did to serve in the coffee bar, whatever you did. We had an army of volunteers show up and make it about people that don't go to church. So thank you very, very much. Listen, there are a lot of churches that are much, much larger than Faith Co., but I am convinced that there is not a better church on the planet. Amen? Yeah. And I am so blessed that I get to pastor Faith Co. Church. In fact, I feel sorry for other pastors because <laughs> they don't get to pastor this church. So thank you, thank you, thank you for all that you did. We're continuing a series of messages called Phenomenon today. And let's let's begin with prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for bringing us here today. Thank you, Lord. For helping us bring a word that brings change, I pray that we will open up our hearts and our minds, and I pray, Lord, that you will speak to people today and change us, give us direction about our lives in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Look at your neighbor and say, he's still a God of miracles. A phenomenon is a remarkable event or an amazing person. In fact, it is an unbelievable fact. A phenomenon is, to the extent that you wouldn't even believe it unless you saw it. We're talking about the miracles of Jesus, and we're showing a, what we're doing is reviewing some of the things that he did through his miracles and what was significant about just a few of his miracles. Last week, I had the opportunity to go see a movie called Case for Christ. Anybody seen that movie? Nobody has seen that movie. A couple of people. Now, how many of you read the book? Okay. Uh, it's it, There's a book that was written about 25 years ago, something like that. But the movie is actually very good. And uh, I, there's, it is unusually good for a Christian movie. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Sometimes the acting isn't up to par in some of the... some of This movie is very, very good. What it is, is it is a story about a man, Lee Strobel, who in 1981 went on a journey in his life. It took him about a year to get through this journey. He set out to disprove Jesus as the Messiah and also to disprove the resurrection of Christ. He did this because his wife became a believer and he made it his personal mission to disprove this because it got on his nerves that his wife got baptized and became a Christian. Well, I'm not going to ruin the movie for you, but I highly recommend that you see that movie. It got me thinking, what if someone like this, like a least robe, what if someone like this set out on a mission about the life around the death of Christ? What if somebody lived back at the, at the beginning of the New Testament church? That Jesus passed away or Jesus was crucified and then there was a resurrection of Christ. What if somebody had the initiative and the support to go after this and find out whether or not this was true? What if it was someone that was very well educated, maybe somebody with a Ph.D., somebody that was notable. And what if his or her goal was to document the truth? It was their goal to document through interviews of eyewitnesses and to interview the disciples, the people that were closest to Jesus, and to account for the life and the death and the resurrection and the miracles of Jesus. How significant would that witness be? How significant would that account be if we had something like that? Would you agree that that would be pretty significant? Somebody over here would. What about you guys? Would you agree that that would? Yeah. Well, what if I told you that there was an account like that? That there was a person like that, and their book is in the Bible, and his name is Luke. And it's Luke's gospel, and there's a, it, actually Luke is written in two parts. What would you say the name of Luke's uh, book is? Good job. You guys are paying attention. What is is actually one book written in two parts? What was the second part of Luke? What's it called? Luke part two. <laughs> or Acts. He wrote Acts. It's actually called Acts of the Apostles. Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke and he wrote the Acts of the Apostles. And his his account is written In the Bible, scholars believe that he may have had a governing benefactor. In other words, somebody that said, Hey, I want you to go find out some information. I want you to go do this. Listen to this. Luke 1 and 1 says, Many people, this is the introduction to his book. It says, Many people have set out to write accounts about the events that have been fulfilled among us. They use the eyewitness reports circulating among us from the early disciples. Having carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I also have decided to write a careful account for you, Most Honorable Theophilus, who is believed to be his benefactor. So that you can be certain of the truth... Of everything that we were taught. You see, this was not just something. The crucifixion and the resurrection. That was not just something that happened in the corner of the world. That was something that was was affecting the entire part of that world. And there was this big ruckus. And there was this thing that was affecting. And there was this explosion of Christians. Better known in those days as the way. There was this explosive growth of the New Testament, New Testament church that was growing by leaps and bounds. Thousands upon thousands of people were being saved. So there were people like this who said, hey, this is a significant thing. We're getting word of it. So what I want you to do is I want you to give an account for this. And this man, Theophilus, it is believed that sent that Luke in some way to figure these things out. Out. Well, the miracle that we're discussing today is recorded in the book of Luke, in Luke's Gospel, the fifth chapter and the seventeenth verse. I'll read it to you. One day while Jesus was teaching, some Pharisees and teachers of religious law were sitting nearby. It seemed that these men showed up from every village in all of Galilee and Judea and as well as Jerusalem and the Lord's healing power was strongly with Jesus. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a sleeping mat. They tried to take him inside to Jesus but they couldn't reach him because of the crowd so they went up to the roof and took off some tiles. Then they lowered the sick man on his mat down into the crowd right in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the man, Young man, your sins are forgiven. But the Pharisees and teachers of the religious law said to themselves, Who does he think he is? That's blasphemy. Nobody can forgive sins except for God. 22nd verse. Jesus knew what they were thinking, so he asked them, why do you question among yourselves, why do you question this in your hearts, that whether I have the ability to forgive sins, that's what he's asking. Then he says, is it easier to say your sins are forgiven, or to, or to say to this man, stand up and walk, and the guy actually get up and walk? Which is easier? So, I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth, To forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man. And said stand up. Pick up your mat and go home. And immediately as everyone watched. The man jumped up. picked up his mat and went home. Praising God. Everyone was gripped with wonder and awe. And they praised God. Exclaiming we have seen amazing things today. As we look at this phenomenon. It was no doubt a phenomenon in that city. A crowded, packed house and people from all around coming to see this thing, this phenomenon, Jesus Christ and his healing power. As we attempt to do that, explore what Jesus was doing, what I'm going to do is I'm going to back up and I'm going to break down this story for specific details And how it applies to us today. Because it could be that God wants to work something in your life. And when Jesus steps into your world as he was. When Jesus is in the house. And he gets ready to move mightily. And he gets ready to move in in, in miracles. And I believe that, that Jesus performs miracles even in this modern age. Do you believe that? Say amen. Listen. When you give your life to Christ. That is a miracle in itself. Think about that for a second. Think about somebody going from not believing, somebody from being, being, uh, being separated from God to stepping across the line to saying, yes, I believe. And then, then there, there's, this, there's this spiritual transformation that takes place to take you, as the Bible says, from death, To life, and it's talking about a spiritual death and a spiritual life. So here's what happens. For not just now in this present life do you receive life, but you receive life from here on out. And then you step into an eternal state once you pass from this life. And forever your eternity is destined with God. That is a miracle in itself. You see, what happens is God may want to do something like that in your life. Or God may be wanting to take you to a next level in your life. Maybe He wants to take you to a next level relationally in your life. Or maybe He wants to work some miracles in your life financially. When Jesus steps into your world, when Jesus steps into your house, get ready for some things to change. Amen? Amen. So that's what I want to talk about today. The first thing I see as I read this story and I see it when God gets ready to move is first of all, we see critics. <laughs> wah, wah, wah. critics. Luke 5 and 17 says, and I'm going to read every, I'm going to break every part of it down. Jesus was teaching some, when he was, the Pharisees and the teachers of the religious law, they were sitting nearby. It seemed that these guys were always showing up from every village. And all Galilee, Judea, every, everywhere he was going in Jerusalem, they were always showing up and they're always bringing their doubting ways. Who are these? These are doubters of God pulling Pulling and distracting away from what God was wanting to do in the lives of people. There will always be those people, always those doubters, always those critics that want to diminish the work of God in your life. That want to distract everybody from what God wants to do. Think of the significance of what was going on. Jesus, the Messiah, the healer, the the person that everybody was talking about that was working miracles was in somebody's house. You couldn't get in this house. And there were people from all over the town listening to hear. And there there, there was this ruckus going on. And Jesus is about to heal people. And he was healing people. And just this wonderful thing that was happening. And here comes these guys, criticizing, doubting, distracting. There will always be those people doing those things, the haters. You know, a lot of times we like, hey, Lord, deliver me from the haters in my life. You ever feel like that? I got enough haters. Lord, deliver me from my haters. When are you going to learn that God is greater than any hater? Amen? God is greater than any hater in your life. You need to see that as an opportunity. Listen to me. When when Jesus was about to do something, here came the critics, here came the the haters, and what Jesus would do is he wouldn't send them away. He would say, hey, look, you take your negativity and you take off and just get out of here. He didn't do that. He saw that as an opportunity to prove the power of God. Even the doubters many times would believe. I want to tell you something. Maybe God has recently worked a work in your life. Maybe at the turn of the year that maybe you gave your life to Christ. Or over the past few weeks. Or maybe even... Last week during Easter Sunday, whatever happens, God is doing a work in your life. I know we got some people down in growth track. I think we got about a dozen or so people that are going to the next step in their walk with God. This is a significant thing that God is doing in your life. He's changing you. He's taking you what the scripture calls from glory to glory, from level to level. And what happens is when this begins to happen, people might want to step up and discount what God is doing. But you need to see that as an opportunity. Here's the deal. If you have recently stepped across the line and given your life to Christ, that means almost every one of your friends are non-believers. Now, I've been living for God since I've been born. I came came out of the womb preaching. You know what I'm saying? Most of my friends are Christians. Even though I'm intentional about, you know being out in the world or whatever. But most of my friends are Christians. But when you recently given your life to Christ, most of your friends are not Christians. So now is the greatest opportunity to win your friends through the testimony and through the power of God that is working in your life. Jesus saw doubters and haters uh, as opportunities to prove the power of God. We need to see that as an opportunity. Amen? Look at your neighbor and say, God's greater than any hater. The second thing that we see, when God gets ready to move and God is working in a person's lives, not only do we see critics, but we also see company. We see good company, the right people, the right friends. Look at this guy. Look at the friends that this guy has. It says, some men came carrying, the 18th verse, some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a sleeping mat. They tried and they tried to take him inside to Jesus, but they couldn't because of the crowd. Because of the what? I'll come back to that. They went up onto the top of the roof, tore the towels off the roof. They lowered the sick man down into the what? Into the what? Crowd. Right in front of Jesus. You see, the crowd was almost always an obstacle to people getting their answer from God. If you read about the miracles of people getting to Jesus, they had to fight through. The crowd. They had to fight through the people that were just standing around watching. All these people are standing around watching. Yeah, it's a phenomenon, but, but there are some people that needed to get to Jesus because they weren't going to get healed. They weren't going to get saved. They weren't, they, 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 weren't going to get, they weren't going to go to the next level or whatever until they got to Jesus. And I thought about the significance of having the right people around. You see, not only did this guy have the obstacle of the crowd, but he also had the challenge of not being able to walk. I mean, some people could walk, but they couldn't get through the crowd. This guy had some major obstacles and there was no way that he was going to be able to get to the Lord except or unless his friends would take him. And I thought the significance, I thought about the significance of having the right people around you that can get you into a position that can get you closer to God. You know, so many times we got the people around us that are really, really good about dragging us away from God. You know, no, come this way. No, 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 you don't need that. But you got to have the right people. If God is going to move in your life, you got to surround yourself with a people that when you're struggling, when you're going through something that, that you can't get yourself there, you got to have those people around you that says, hey, you can't make it? All right, well, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to carry you there. Amen? Look at your neighbor and say, I will carry you. A lot of times we, when we're going through life and we give our life to Christ, we step across the line. And now we're born again. You still have to deal with some baggage. Yes, you've been transformed on the inside and God is renewing you and he's doing some change. But sometimes you've got to deal with the things that you've done. And even if you've been a Christian, we're always dealing with some kind of baggage. Something that happened to us when we were kids. Some kind of a relationship kind of thing. Something, it could have been a divorce. It could have been a father or a mother or a child or something. Or a loss of a loved one. We carry things and injuries and baggage and sometimes we can't get there by ourselves because every time we take a step where we got to drag this, I can't get there because I got all this baggage. And somebody says, hey, I got this, man. You keep going. I'm going to carry this for you. Right? I don't know why I'm carrying this. <laughs> kind of, it reminds me of when I, I'm gonna, when I go on a mission trip, I'm always the one with all the extra luggage. It's not because I need lots of clothes. It's just that I take gear. I want to be prepared. You don't know when you might need an extra pair of socks. You know what I'm saying? You don't need, I mean, it, you need water tablets just in case the water is bad and you get out and you get lost or something. You need a raincoat. You need a whistle. You need a way to start fire. So I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm so it's, I'm like, I'm carrying on, and then I always got somebody helping me carry my luggage, my baggage. I'm so glad that God has surrounded with pe- us with people, that no matter what we face, no matter what we go through, and you if you don't have those kinds of people, God has set you in the church, God has set people around you. That those relationships can be developed. That no matter what we're going through, I will carry you. No matter what I'm going through, you will carry me. Amen? Amen. Romans 15:1 says, Now we who are strong ought to bear the weaknesses of those without strength and not just please ourselves. Look at your neighbor and say, look, this ain't just about you. It ain't just about you. You thought this was all about you. Hallelujah, I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. Praise God. It ain't just about that. Thankful. I'm thankful for that. But it's not just about that. It's about, hey, you've, you've received the good news. You've received the new life. You have received the healing. God is doing some work in your life. Wouldn't it make sense to take somebody with it? Let me tell you what God has done in my life. Let me show you what I can do or what God can do in your life. You need godly brothers and sisters who can carry you Amen? Look at your neighbor and say, I got you. So get ready for critics. Get ready for company. What we see in this story, and number three, we see confident faith. Why? Because of the opposition that happens along the way. The enemy will always make sure that he puts some things to obstruct the work of God in your life. So what happens is you've got to increase your faith. Listen to this. They tried to take him to Jesus. But they couldn't reach him because of the crowd. So they went up on top of the roof. They ripped off some of the tiles. They lowered the sick man on his mat down in front of the crowd, right in front of Jesus. And the 20th verse says, Seen their what? Look at that. Seen their faith. How can you see an intangible thing? How do you see somebody's faith? Mark's gospel records this parable. or I'm sorry, records this miracle and it counts the people it says that there were four guys specifically there were four guys obviously if they're carrying a guy on a mat we have one on each corner but think of the ordeal about this think of all the time that went into this maybe he was maybe he would plan this and he got a hold of all of his friends, said, I need you to do me a really, really big favor. Just come on over and I'll let you know what happens. They all get there and say, hey, about that, I need for you guys to carry me across town on my mat. And then when I get there, we'll see, Well, you know, I'll get to see Jesus and maybe I can be healed. So they all come over there. Everybody gets a corner. They start trekking across town. They get there. They can't. The house is up there. They can't get there. They finally weave. And hey, we got a guy here. You know, he needs Jesus. And you know, they get up there. And then they can't get it. They just can't get in the door. I'm sorry you can't get in here. You're going to. They look at each other. Somebody's got to say something that I would say. Hey, man, we didn't get all dressed up for nothing here. I didn't carry yourself all the way down here (laughs) for you not to see Jesus. We're going to. The one way or another. Is that a staircase? They had a narrow staircase that went up and the roofs were flat. And they were usually made of clay and sticks. So he goes up there. And this, and Luke says, there's actually tiles. So they start ripping off the roof. They literally start taking this roof apart. Owners probably not appreciating this. But no, they're ripping this roof off. And as they do Jesus' is teaching, no doubt this stops the meeting. Why? Because roof particles are falling on Jesus' head. And the Bible says that after all of this... Jesus looks up and what does he see? What does he see? I'll tell you what he sees. He sees four guys looking into a hole like this. Is the hole big enough? I don't know. We can stuff him down in there. And then they start stuffing him down in there. And then, you know, they got to lower him all at the same time. Then they got that one guy on the corner, probably a little bit like you, that's that's going too fast. Hey, you're going to drop him. And he goes, what's the worst thing that could happen? Okay. Okay. Get him down there. So they get him down there. And the Bible says that Jesus sees their faith. I call this part of the message, The Faith of the Furious. I need to make a movie of that. The Faith of the Furious. These four guys that had the faith to make a plan. Had the faith to to carry him all the way down there. Had the faith to, to not be obstructed by all the crowd, had the faith in the, 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 the intuitive to, to walk up those stairs and think of something. We'll do anything that we can possibly do. Whatever it takes. Take the roof off of the house. Whatever it We're going to get this guy to Jesus. That is faith. James says that there is no faith without works. Amen? In fact, show, he says, Show me your faith, and I'll show you my faith by my works. What, is, what, what are works, and, and what is action? Basically, action. Action is proof that you have faith. faith. The Bible says, Faith without works, or we can say action, faith without acting on your faith, the Bible says, is dead and it's worthless. So all this work that they put into it, every time they took a step, every time that they walked up, every time they tore a ceiling tile off, every time that they did that, it was them acting on their faith. And Jesus saw their faith. Listen to me. Nothing moves the hand of God faster than people acting on their faith. Not just believing, but believing enough to do something about it. So listen to me. If you need something from God, do something do anything. Don't just believe. Act as if God is going to move in your life. Start putting things together. Start heading in that direction. Do everything that you can possibly do to get God to move in your life. Amen? Amen. Because action is proof that I believe. Action is proof of faith. Number four, not just faith, not just critics, but also compassion. We see compassion in this story. We see the compassion of God when he gets ready to move in the lives of people, specifically forgiveness. In Luke 5 and 20, it says, Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the man, Young man, your sins are forgiven. I want you to picture this guy laying on the ground, probably his legs curled up, probably not the size that they should be because he's been this way forever. I don't know if it was an injury or whatever, but there was probably some kind of attrition going on in his legs. And as he's laying there on this mat, and he's all curled up, and he's sitting there, and he's looking up at Jesus, maybe in some pain. Maybe they dropped him on the ground. You know what I'm saying? Last-ditch effort. We, the rope's not long enough. Just drop him. What's going to happen? You know, as he's, as he's sitting there, Jesus looks at him and says, Young man, your sins are forgiven. thank you, but that's not exactly why I'm here. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Why? Because Jesus always addressed the spiritual injuries in our life first. The spiritual matters always took precedence over the physical or the natural matters in our life. God knows exactly. He's so compassionate that he gives us what we need, even when we don't even know that we need it. Amen? Amen. The Bible says that Jesus knows what we need even before we ask. Listen to me. What we ask from God isn't, what, what we ask from God isn't always what we need the most from God. Which reminds me, I am so glad. I am so glad. Is it warm in here? Or is it just me? Maybe I'm just preaching for a change. That reminds me. If I can just think of it. It reminded me of something. Oh, I'm so glad that God didn't give me everything that I prayed for when I prayed for it. I had prayed for a lot of things over the past 25 years. I have prayed a lot of things that I thought, this, God, this is something that we have to have. I am so glad that God did not give me specifically what I wanted. Why is that? Because what he had for me was much better, much greater, much higher than anything that I could have ever imagined. I remember when I was in my mid-20s praying, Lord, if I could just have a church of about 250 or 300 people, if we decided we want to do that, we'd have to cut this church in half. I remember praying, God. I pray that you'll, you know, give me a two or three staff people, God. That you will help me to make this amount of money financially, God. I pray that you'll help. I remember praying for those things, and if I, if God would have given me what I prayed for, it would have been way, way less than what God has given me over the over the past three decades. Why? Because God knows what we need even before He asks, before we ask. And the thing is, is God is a loving God and he cares about you. And when you're thinking, why won't God answer my prayer? Why or why doesn't God move and say yes in this area of my life? Could it be that God has something greater, that God has something better, that he's so compassionate and he's so loving that he he recognizes what you need and it's greater than what you're asking for? Amen. Jesus is Compassionate. Number five, confrontation. We see that in the miracles of God. Who? The doubters and the haters that, that, that get confronted in this miracle. Luke 5 and 22 says, Jesus knew what they were thinking, so he asked them, why do you question this, is, this in your hearts? Is it easier to say your sins are forgiven or stand up and walk? But so, so I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. You know, nothing's better Nothing feels better than to God than for God to move in your life in such a way that you feel vindicated by the Lord. Now you can do things for yourself and you can get back at people and, and you can and you can do whatever you know that you think that you can do, but nothing feels better for God to move greatly in your life. Nothing is better than a blessing. After all the haters were around, after all the people that didn't believe, after all the people that, 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 that said, you're wasting your time. You're wasting your time following God. You're wasting your time giving your offerings to the church and to God's kingdom work. You're wasting your time by serving every single one. That is a waste of time. You could be doing this or that. And then Jesus steps back, like he said here, and says, watch this. Watch this while I heal this person that the world can't give you at all, but Jesus can. Watch this while while I put this person's family back together. Watch this while I heal your broken life. Watch this while I mend your broken heart. Watch this while I restore your life. Watch this while I restore your relationships and I restore your finances. Watch this while I save this person. Nothing feels better than God's vindication in our lives. Watch this. Your life in Christ confronts the lives of others who disbelieve. And God steps in when He gets ready to move and work a miracle in your life, which leaves other people speechless as they see and without a doubt know that God's working in your life. Amen? Lastly, when God steps into the house, when Jesus steps into the house and begins to work miracles, we see the cure for is going on in our lives. Why? Because Jesus is the source of what we need. In Luke, Luke 5 and 24, it says, Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, Stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And immediately, as everyone watched, the man jumped up, picked up his mat, went home praising God. Everyone was gripped with great wonder and awe, and they praised God, exclaiming, We have seen amazing things today. Listen to me. God has the remedy for all of your ailments. Whatever's going on in your life, whatever dilemma, whatever hurt, whatever sickness, whatever's missing, whatever the void is in your life, He has the remedy. Listen to me. Jesus is the answer. You can stop looking. If you want, the search can end today. Whatever is happening in your life, you say, I, "You don't understand what's going on in your life, and I don't have all the answers, but I know the person who does have the answers. Maybe you've lost your way. Maybe you feel like you can't find your way. Jesus says, I am the way. Maybe you're here and you're you're questioning truth. What is the truth? Jesus says, I am the truth. Maybe you're here and you feel like you've lost life or you need a restoration of life. Jesus says, I am life. He has and He is the answer for anything that is going on in your life. Jesus is the cure to any hurt, any injury, any void. That's what Jesus does when he steps into the house. Yes, there might be critics. Yes, God will send people around you in the right company. Yes, there will be confrontation. But Jesus has the cure for whatever is going on in your life. Amen? Amen? Jesus was the phenomenon that changed the world forever. And his miracles proved that he was the Messiah. And it proved that he was who he said that he was. And in Romans, the 10th chapter in the ninth verse, it says, "If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you are going to be saved." First John, the fifth chapter in the first verse says, "Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Messiah, it says that they become the children of God." Contrary to popular belief, we are not all children of God. Everybody on the face of the planet is not a child of God. But people who are children of God are those who have accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior of their lives. So if you believe and you confess, then my friend, you become. Amen? You can believe and you can do something. And God can work some things in your life that completely change your life. Whatever you need. If you believe and you confess, then you can become. Let me pray with you. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for bringing us here today and for speaking to us. We have encountered you, Lord, today. And I know, Lord, that there are people that are hurting today. There are people that are lost. There are people that, are, that have questions but you have brought us all here together wherever we are because you want to speak to us. And I pray that in this time, in this moment, we will encounter you. Whatever we need to do, whatever decisions that we need to make, whatever we need to become that is found in you and it will begin today in the name of Jesus. As your heads are bowed, I want to speak first of all to you if you're a believer. This is not about believing in God. This is not about taking a step to become a Christian. This is about something that's going on in your life. Maybe, as I was talking about earlier, the burdens and the baggage of life. Maybe there is something happening in your life and the things that are happening are causing a struggle. And you can't seem to let go of it. And maybe you've been trying to carry this all by yourself. And maybe today you need to give that to God. He is here today. His spirit is here. That if you'll let go of that and you will surrender that to him, you can give it to him. Maybe today, as a believer, you are struggling with something. A bad habit. A sin. A lifestyle. It's not about believing in God. It's about, it's about letting go of distractions. It's about letting go of things that are trying to overcome you and you feel like you can't can't do this. I want to tell you, it begins with giving it to God. I'm not telling you that's an end all, but that's the beginning. Maybe you've lost someone and you feel this, this incredible void in your life. It's not there. He can fill that hole in your life. If you will open up your heart and let him speak to you, wherever God is speaking to you, whatever you feel God is saying to you today, I'm going to ask you to answer that right now as I pray. And as I pray, I want you to pray in your own way. Whatever God is dealing with you about, I want you to begin to pray right now and let God begin to do his work in your life. Just say what you want to say to God right now. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for everybody that you have talked to, that you're speaking to right now that will open up their hearts and mind and begin to receive what your spirit wants to say. Life can do damage and cause injury and hurt and even baggage that we have to carry. But you are the cure. You are an all-sufficient savior that carried our sins to a cross. That debt has been paid. Lord, there's no reason for us to struggle in life. I pray, Father, that we let go of things that we can't control. We let go of hurts. We let go of injuries. Lord, we let go of things that try to bind us and create strongholds in our lives. And as we pray, as we begin to speak right now, as we have this moment with you, will you work a work in the lives of these people? Thank you, Lord. Thank you for it, Lord. If you believe that, say amen.